1: I don't know why, but when I hear those speeches, I get chills. What about you? What are you feeling right now? Let's keep going, let's do another one.
2: When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one.
1: Goosebumps. You can't tell from over there, but I got goosebumps, literal goosebumps, which by the way, what even is a goosebump? When you start to think about what they are, it's super weird. I don't know, I get lost sometimes, sorry, but hello world, what is up? Welcome to the Feelings Lab, I'm your host, Matt Forte, and today, we're going to be talking about all. Okay, so... We chose this as our jumping off point because it's kind of the perfect encapsulation of this entire series. Awe is something I'm sure all of us would say we've experienced at some point but may have difficulty articulating exactly what it is or how we know we're experiencing it. I want to find out how I can become more mindful and aware of all and once I do that uh, does that mean that I can like engage in it more frequently I right, look I've got a bunch of questions but thankfully joining me today once again we've got the infinitely smarter than I am dancers that's right Dr. Alan Cowan is back Dr. Decker Keltner is here and of course the great Danielle Credit Cobb but that's not all I promised you special guests and this one well is. Pretty awesome. Uh, a super special treat. Joining us today, founder and publisher of Sounds True, host of the popular Insights at the Edge podcast series, the one and only Tammy Simon is here. Tammy, thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing?
3: Uh, I feel awesome. And thank you for calling me awesome. It's a great way to start.
1: <laughs> you are very truly awesome. Uh, how are your dogs doing? I know you have some awesome dogs at home as well.
3: Oh, So, you know, it touches my heart that you asked about them. They're fabulous. <laughs> thank you. That's wonderful. That's what we want to hear. Uh, how about
1: the rest of my friends, panel, hosts, experts? How you guys doing? Dak or Danielle? Alan, how are you guys? I'm
4: great.
5: Doing good. My very dog good. is sleeping right
3: here. <laughs> I was going to point out, Danielle, I see Look you have a that. pooch with you.
5: He is our companion. mystic sage temple dog <laughs> for the moment.
1: That's wonderful. Sadly, I had to send my dog upstairs because even though he was sound asleep next to me, if someone even comes remotely close to our front gate, he will wake up and bark very dramatically. Uh, And I do appreciate it. But honestly, once you get to the door, he's also your best friend. So he's not the greatest guard dog, but he's perfect in his own way. Well, I'm super excited that each of you are here. Uh, I actually have um, a little card that I wrote down. Each of you have several textbooks worth of thoughts on this, I'm sure. Uh, Dagger, I think you, you literally wrote the textbook on awe. And, and just to, to, as we're going through tonight, I got a couple of questions I jotted down to keep us on track. If we cover these, great. If we don't, Also great, Uh, but like the first one was, uh, how does awe relate to happiness? Which I have a a personal story I can share later if we get to that one. I wrote down why. Why why do we experience it? You know, how how is it evolutionarily advantageous? Like, why why does it exist? What does awe do? Uh, And that's a big one that I wanted to get to. And of course, Alan, uh, I brought this up last week when you mentioned uh, the mice tickling, which. I'm not providing any further context. If you want to know what we're talking about, go back to episode zero. But I did say, because of that, every episode I'm going to want to know now how do these emotions present in the animal world? Do animals experience awe? And that one, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure we get to that one, rather it's at the end or not. But I just have a couple of these written down. We'll see if we get to them. Fingers crossed. Uh, but uh, Dagger, you are as qualified as they come, sir. I defer to your expertise. You literally wrote the book on awe. So where do you think we should start? How far back should we go? What's the first question we should be asking and talking about tonight?
6: Well, I I mean, I think it's interesting because um, awe is almost by definition beyond words. It's hard for people to define it, to describe Mm -hmm. it. Great writing traditions, kinds of traditions that Tammy represents, it sounds true of spiritual traditions, contemplative traditions have felt it. So I think we got to start with a definition, which is it is when you encounter vast mysteries that your mind can't make sense of. And it astonishes you. It, and then awe unleashes a variety of processes to make sense of things, right? To it creates wonder, a state of mind where you go for answers. Uh, it dissolves the self, the, the ego, if you will. Um, and those effects of awe, those parts of awe, um, help us dive into mysteries of life. So it's when we encounter vast mysteries is where I would start, is a definition.
1: When we encounter vast mysteries. I love that. Alan, how do you feel about that, encountering vast mysteries?
4: Yeah, I mean, that mixes together the two kind of appraisals that classically evoke awe, which is vastness, the reaction to something really, really big, making you feel small, and the need for accommodation. So finding out something that you totally didn't understand, you don't have a schema to understand and you have to integrate it with your understanding of reality in a new way. Um, So yes, I feel like that is a really nice encapsulation of what evokes awe. Um, And when I think of awe, I think of the thing when people are looking at their computer screen, they go, oh, wow, and then everybody looks over. Uh, That's uh, the classic awe, right? Everyone's looking over at your screen. They're not looking at you because they want to find out what it is that you learned that caused you to feel like there was some break in your reality that you need to accommodate new information.
1: Yeah, and depending on what's on that screen, that's also coupled by shame and immediate control like W of closing the window. It all depends where you are and what it is. Tammy, uh, for several decades now, through all of your work, you have this incredible way, I think, of of reframing very personal parts of the human experience, recontextualizing it and and shifting the way we sort of perceive and and, and live through that experience. A great example, of course, uh, being your book on depression, Darkness Before Dawn. And for someone who is so attuned and who has been such an instrumental voice in a lot of people's journeys, what brings awe to you? You know, Now that we have that definition, how, how do you engage it? Do you ration it out and keep it special? Uh, I'm very curious about your personal relationship with the feeling yeah. of awe.
3: What's remarkable to me is how it's so available. You ready yeah. for this? In everything, in every yeah. little minute everything, if there's a certain quality of attention and engagement and presence and deep, spacious relationship. So, you know, I've been experimenting, knowing that we were gonna have this conversation with awe, and I experimented with this. First, go ahead and like it. And this is a practice I learned from a Sounds True author, Jacqueline Suskin, who's a poet. Just find anything in your environment and go ahead and like it as a starting point. It could be anything. It could be, right now in my environment, uh, I, well, OK, I have a bell in front of me. It's the first <laughs> thing I saw. I know it makes okay. it seems a little classic, but I use it to start meetings. And I, I like it. And then spend a little bit more time with it, go into it a little bit more. And what happens for me, once I start liking it, and then there's a deeper process, which is something happens and it becomes so mysterious to me. Like, what actually is this thing? Oh, my God. And, and there is a way that I feel a sense, I don't know how else to put it, but kind of, of like my mind being blown by this everyday object that sits on my desk. And then there's a quality as I keep going deeper into it. I don't know what it is exactly, what is this object? And a feeling that opens up of time-stopping. Uh, of Hmm. transcendence, of uh, just this open state of mysterious presence. So what's curious to me is how we can find that wherever we are, right now in this moment, in your environment.
1: Wow very uh inspiring words and it reminds me is uh, not to, to trivialize it but the same part of my brain that uh will sometimes almost forget what well, a word that i've said a million times or if i say it too many times and i focus too much on that word it, it starts to lose meaning and i forget what that word is and and i have to start, I, I think it was recently uh, also a joke in ted lasso but i've experienced this many times before it's like you say it over and over and it loses its sense and i never thought of doing that with a physical object yeah. of just sort of examining it and spending time with it until i I'm mystified by it. It mm-hmm. also, Danielle, it reminds me of something you and I were talking to not too long ago off air uh, that you said awe is not reserved for a few times in a lifetime. You get a choice, and awe is a skill, and that stuck with me when I remember you said that. And you know, as someone myself who's still in the process of sharpening that tool, um, I, I suppose it's possible that I feel it all the time, but I just haven't really realized it or acknowledged it or have a name for it, right? Yeah, I mean,
5: what I found so interesting when I first started learning about awe was Um, I I remember specifically reading when Dacker was talking about everyday awe, and there are all these flavors of awe, there's wild awe, mystical awe, and and the everyday awe that Tammy was just bringing us into the kind of mysterious presence of um, is such a great example because you think of awe sort of like, you know, a really... a really delicious dessert shared amongst friends is something that only gets to happen every now and then, like it's a holiday or something. Like it's reserved for the moment that you reach the peak of Kilimanjaro and nothing else. And what's lovely is that it's actually something that is around us in every moment if we choose to tune into it. And that idea of choosing to tune into it, choosing to come into resonance with something, be in the presence of it, acknowledge our presence as part of that. And I think that that kind of, the fact that it that it it sits around us, kind of Alice in Wonderland, like all the time. It's like things are not what they seem. If only you can kind of drop into that, and and um, this idea too, I think carries in it a sense of like, it's not just this kind of vastness that opens up, uh, opens up to us or opens up within us. It's mm-hmm. actually this feeling like we begin to have a sense of our place inside of it. Like we're belonging Hmm. to something bigger. And, um, yeah, that, that for me is just a beautiful way to step into anything.
6: You know, Matt, Uh, I have to weigh in. I mean, please do. We did, we did this research and we just surveyed people on a daily basis. Like, uh, you know, did you feel awe today and write about it? And we studied people in Japan and China and the U S and, barcelona and other places and the most surprising finding was what tammy and danielle were talking about wasn't hypothesized is three times a week people are feeling awe you know they're you know they're walking to school or to work and they see a shadow on the sidewalk or a person being really generous with a, a stranger and they're feeling this emotion uh and i think one of the stereotypes or misconceptions of awe is it's rare and it's when you're at the grand canyon or you're hugging the Dalai Lama you know it's like Tammy As said, you do <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> it works but you know it's all over the place and you can get a little ob- obsessed and like man my faucet on my you know the little handle on my faucet's incredible you know and, oops you know so but it's 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 around us and I like is Tammy's there, exercise you
1: Yeah. Is there a sweet spot, right, that you've got to find a healthy balance of engaging in awe but not over engaging? Well, let's take
3: a a moment. Imagine if people were more awe-obsessed. Just imagine that. (laughs) I mean, that's not what we're finding. You know, those aren't the people I'm running into. I would love that. I mean, I think we need to take the balance far over in that direction before we're worried about getting too far in that direction. That's just my own view.
6: No. And, and, you know, I mean, Rachel Carson, who's, I think, one of the most important awe writers in human history, the great environmentalist, writes this essay about teaching kids to feel wonder in 1956. And this is before all of our kids became super stressed out and, you know, rising suicide rates, et cetera. And she's like, man, we are losing, you know, this this balance and we need more awe. So I'm with Tammy. Let's yeah. all Start the awe revolution, you know. We need, start the evolution. No, we need more of it, and you can have too much yeah. of it. But um, it's it's in peril in many ways. Right. So, and you could have too much, but right now, let's not worry about that. Let's get
1: that needle pushed in the other direction, and then once we have too much of it, we'll worry about it. We'll sort that out. But yeah. in the meantime, let's encourage as much awe as we can. Is what I'm getting. Um, well, that brings me to like one of my big questions, which was, uh, how does awe relate to happiness? Because I think you're right. As I'm listening to all of these things and learning so much already, so early in our conversation, I'm realizing that my threshold for awe was set probably too high, and I don't know how it ended up there. I don't know mm-hmm. if I put it there subconsciously or, if, or, or or how it arrived there, but that's where it was. And so, you know, how does awe relate to happiness? And does awe exist without happiness? Can I just be mm-hmm. in awe of something and not necessarily happy? Decker or Alan, I'm putting you guys in the crosshairs. Can I experience, especially Alan, you're my nuance guy. Can I experience awe,
4: but also sadness? So there's negative manifestations of awe. So awe is not mm. always a positive emotion. Uh, mm. I think that you have to consider awe plus you know, fear, which can often be shock. Um, the idea of mm-hmm. shock and awe in a military sense is very true to the feeling of awe as well. The idea that you can overwhelm people into yeah. being paralyzed because um, all it does is sort of paralyze us it forces us to rethink our reality um, and to kind of regroup our cognition so i think that uh is a negative manifestation of awe you can become overwhelmed people uh all can turn into a panic attack yeah. um, i'm sort of playing mm. devil's advocate here but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this can happen Uh, And there's um, many different ways that awe can be combined with other positive emotions. Um, And so happiness is this sort of all-encompassing category, but you can separate out um, sort of pride and awe, which can can turn into an admiration or patriotism. Um, You can talk about um, sort of mystery and eeriness and dreaminess and awe, and that can turn more into like different kinds of spirituality, perhaps. There's uh, different contexts for awe. Sometimes we feel it collectively. Uh, there, I think it really is more spirituality. And then sometimes it's almost institutionalized. And that's where you get sort of institutionalized, like nationalism, religion. So I think there's, and of course, we know that those can have negative ramifications as well. Uh, so, you know, it's, awe is a specific emotion. I think when you talk about happiness, you're talking about well-being, perhaps. There's also a sort of joy, elation, kind of as a more specific emotion. But, you know, uh, well-being is sort of a description of, all of the emotions being in balance and all of the emotions uh, contributing to the health of society. Um, and so awe can be part of that equation, uh, and it can be a, a positive or, or potentially a negative in rare cases.
1: Dagger, is that something we've, as a species, is that something we've observed from the very beginning and the origins of like our, our observations around awe? Have we always acknowledged that it exists sort of within this, its own spectrum?
6: Yeah. And in fact, um, I think that's going to be one of the really interesting areas of scholarship in this new science of awe and the new scholarship more broadly of awe is the cultural trajectories of awe and how it's shaped by history and context. Right. Um, You know, when you look at indigenous accounts of mystical experience that are thousands of years old that predate the written word, a lot of it is about this more positive version of awe that Tammy gave us a flavor of, of. Uh, When you get to the dark ages, right, when people are dying young and there's tons of violence, awe becomes really dark. And it's about horror, as Alan said, and encountering death and violence, right? So it shapes and transforms a lot as we move through history. You know, Einstein's discoveries of quantum physics changed the nature of awe. Um, You know, so it's just one of these fascinating emotions that moves around. Uh, but ultimately is about encountering the mysteries that are beyond our understanding. Yeah.
5: I'm, I'm uh, curious. I'm, you know, I'm so curious. No, I want when you to I, go when for I it. I yeah. tend to think about like happiness and the experience of it. I'm, I'm, a, I almost get like uncomfortable with happiness. Cause it feels too like red bold, whereas like <laughs> contentment or peacefulness <laughs> maybe is more my vibe of having. But what's interesting is I, when I think about awe, it's like, it, it transforms us, it can heal us, it expands us, it merges us, it quiets the mind, it awakens and, you know, kind of does all of these things. But so much of that is like ego or whatever, or the default solver. It's like the the me that we think is me, the me that lives in the movie of me, dissolves and melts away into something. So mm. it's curious to me, because when I think about awe and happiness, part of the kind of expansive resting into awe is like you not quite being you anymore because you're a little bit of everything else too so I'm curious how that works because I'm not a computational emotion scientist I'm just the messy human that's like is it kind of like this but
6: <laughs> well you know I mean that's part of you know that's part of what's important about Alan's computational work is people hadn't really put up all these different states, right, that people have been thinking about for millennia um, in the contemplative traditions of ecstasy, and bliss, and joy, and gratitude, and awe, and beauty, and love, and desire, and then how do they all relate, and what are the, their variations, and um, and awe is this unique space of self-dissolving as well as Danielle put, unlike pride or triumph or desire, um, so, uh, it, it That's why we need this kind of science to start to answer those questions. But, you know, maybe Tammy would speak about some of the contemplative traditions because they've been observing their minds for a long time and, and making sense of like, wow, what is it like when I feel bliss towards the divine when I completely dissolve as opposed to when I feel awe at this powerful being where I'm still aware of the relationality? I don't know. Do you see that these interesting states in the kinds of work you have done, Tammy?
3: I, I do, and yet what I'm appreciating about the conversation is this nuance around emotions that I'm not as literate in that is uh, really, um, it's really interesting to me. And just, just for a moment uh, before moving into the mystical states, I just want to underscore something, which is I was reflecting on why do we use the word awful and the word awesome, and they both have awe in them. And you answered that uh, in this conversation in a way that hadn't been clear to me before. So I just wanted to make a shout out uh, about that. Uh, I don't know if you have more to say about that, just this root word awe in our language.
6: Well, you know, eggy and aggy, which traits back to ninth century Old English and then Norse, was about threat and horror, and so aw- awful things, awe-filled things in the ninth century were torture and horror and bodies succumbing to plagues, and now awesome awe-filled things have changed as as our human history has changed. Mm-hmm.
1: I am. This is this is my favorite show in the world, by the way. I'm so excited that I get to have all of these amazing brains right now, kind of coming together and learning so much. I appreciate all of it. And and we started to get into this, Tammy, but I'd love to hear um, a little bit more. So the Sounds True Foundation is all about bringing mindfulness and this toolkit of awareness to those who would not otherwise typically have access to it. It's an amazing organization. Yeah. And in your travels, or not just with that organization, but in general, what have you observed around the world, and what does it look like? Have have you firsthand? had a chance to experience and observe different flavors of awe mm. in different cultures and in different people and in everything you've done. And sure. Seen.
3: Sure. Well, I think a really uh, big key to awe for me, and I, I hope this answers your question, has to do with connecting with being
2: mm.
3: connecting with presence. Mm. And for, for me, that's the place where there isn't this separation where I'm just—I mean—you observe something. That's a—you know—you're separate from it, and that's a like foothills of awe. Sometimes deep appreciation, mm-hmm. celebration of something amazing. You know, watching a great feat. But for me, the real sort of awe, show-stopping moment is when it's almost like there's a like a top at the the head, and it cracks open. And that's the way it feels to me, that's the way I feel it in my body, like feel it like my head broke open. I don't know how else to put it, or that there's just this opening up at the top. And suddenly, I'm just in a field of being that, yes, you can use a word like awe, but it's so awe-inspiring that uh, to say something that Dacker said earlier, it kind of takes you beyond language. And I think that's the kind of awe that I'm most familiar with that's available through meditation Mm -hmm. and people would say mystical experience. It's a kind of uh, dropping out of our kind of busy beta mind into just a different state of of being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Real quick, Foothills of Awe, Tammy, that will be the name of yours and my side project where we do uh, indie folk songs. We're going to be Foothills of Awe. I just want you to know I wrote that down. Um, But this is we're we're segueing perfectly into something I wanted to get to. There's an an idea, somewhat controversial idea from Oprah, uh, if you can believe it, uh, not too long ago. And I'm paraphrasing a bit of what she said here. But essentially, the point was, if you feel awe, you believe in God. And again, I'm paraphrasing, I'm taking things, but that was more or less the concept that she was conveying is that if you feel awe, you believe in God. And I want to unpack that. You know, why, why do we connect awe to spirituality? It, you know, is awe inherently spiritual? And I'd love to get your perspective on that. On awe and spirituality, not Oprah. However, if you do have a hot take on Oprah, I'm willing to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Just putting it out there.
3: Sure. Well, I think for me, when I'm experiencing awe, I'm experiencing the preciousness of life, everything seems so. Everything that's alive seems so precious, and like something I want to care for. And mm-hmm. you know, so even when you're saying like, you know, well, we could, too, can we have too much? Or let's have. And I was like, no, let's have more of it. Because what I know is, when I feel awe in relationship to the natural world, I want to care for it. When I feel awe in relationship to the silverware in my kitchen that I'm picking up. I want to care for it. I want to make sure it's clean and it's put away well. And it's a cure for a sort of over-consumerism because I have so much love and care for the objects that are Mm. directly in my environment. So Mm. I think it's, you know, I don't have to jump to God, but it's an incredible celebration of life, of the (laughs) glory of life.
1: That's actually... It's beautiful, and it reminds me of, I had said at the top that there was a personal story linked to happiness that I was going to share. And the short version of it is one of my most recent encounters I I'd felt as I was examining, you know, how I've been experiencing awe. And there's a place not too far from where I live, it's called Rye Playland, which is, um, it's both famous and no one's ever heard of it, but it's essentially uh, a little amusement park. And last year during the pandemic, I was biking, cycling, which is all you could do safely. And every day I'd go out there, right? And of course it was desolate, abandoned because pandemic. And a couple of weeks ago, My wife and I, we were like, all right, let's go out. We haven't seen the park in forever. We'll put on double masks if it's crowded Believe, But we went and I hadn't been there in forever. And the last time I'd seen it, it was this empty place, right, devoid of life. And all I ever had were these childhood memories. And so she and I go, we didn't even get on rides, which is a big deal when you hit a certain age. And um, and we just walked around. And there was a moment uh, where it was very emotional just to be there because... Life had been restored. People were there on the Ferris wheel was going. They were walking on the boardwalk. Kids were laughing and playing games. And it was, I. I had, we just took a moment to just kind of stand there and just be in the moment and absorb all of that energy. Because life had returned to this place that uh, very recently it felt like would never be the same again. And it was like this glimmer of hope in this just sea of Hopelessness that's been happening since the pandemic kind of kicked off, of just like, will we ever get back to normal? And it wasn't normal. Everybody was wearing masks and being safe and distancing, but it was almost normal and it was a taste of normal. And that moment was very overwhelming. And I felt like uh, uh, what I th- interpreted as a sense of awe. And as we were discussing, I was like, oh, maybe that wasn't awe. Maybe that was something else. But just now, as you're describing, oh, I care for these things in a, a celebration of life. And I was like, it was awe. I did feel it. That's what it was. <laughs> and so. <laughs> So, so, thank you. Um, I'm curious because we, I, I do want to get to the animals thing and we are uh, getting uh, a little short on time here so we'll get to that but uh, just if anybody else Danielle, Alan, Decker, any uh, Tammy of course, recent experiences of awe. Tammy I know we just went through one with you with the bell which was a wonderful joy <laughs> but anything similar like that has occurred to you or have you reevaluated and rediscovered something now throughout this conversation?
4: I think I resonate with your story Matt in that This pandemic sort of took away so many things we've taken for granted. And I've been saying that, you know, as you habitualize the things that are in your reality, they evoke less and less awe because you don't grow any new synapses. You know, it's just the same thing over and over. And you don't feel it in the same way. And you feel it less and less. And there's actually less activity, brain activity evoked by that thing. Um, But then you take it away and you bring it back. And I think what's awe inspiring the most about Seeing everything come back into place is that it was that way before. We just didn't really appreciate it, and now we're Hmm. coming to sort of appreciate it anew. Um, And that that in and itself is awe inspiring at a meta level and literally just the fact that it's so. It's the novelty of it is so not novel at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of layers there for sure. Uh, I don't want to get too far from it uh, as we're going down this path, but, um, you know, Dacher, in your uh, studies, w- why do uh, people tend to drift towards connecting it to spirituality? You know, was that the initial sort of uh, take on awe, or is that something that we as humans sort of uh, added over time? What's what's the history tell us about that?
6: Well, it's, it's a really deep history, and, and there are different perspectives on it. Um, you know, Jane Goodall... Um, one of probably a hero of many people here said uh, she watched these chimpanzees doing this waterfall dance and she said wow they're they're showing feelings of awe and and early beginnings of spirituality so we know that mammals do something like on we can talk about that in a bit i think that um you know the um the first thing to recognize is i think this is really important too is Your example of getting back out into the world and being awestruck by human life um, turns out to be a deep human universal, which is about 50 percent of awe experiences uh, with around the world are not nature or spirituality. They're other people, other people's Mm -hmm. beauty, other people's goodness. Uh, When Alan came to my office and showed his first map of emotion, and he's the first scientist to really prove that awe is different from feelings of beauty the sources of awe were flowing rivers of humans in bike races and in cities and the like. So we love humanity. Um, so I think um, what what the current thinking is is that we have these extraordinary experiences, right, of being moved by people's goodness. The aspens uh, that surround Tammy that are flickering in the light, you know, big winds and the like. They're so extraordinary that we have to come up with an explanation of them, and people invoke the divine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, it's one of the great moments in awe history, was in this museum in Paris. And it was a museum of comparative anatomy where there are all these skeletons of cats and dogs and whales and like. And he's like awestruck, um, by the design of human of species and he said that's God right so hmm. I think our thinking is that these this is an extraordinary experience and then de- depending on where you grow up and you, the, what your people are telling you, you we come up with these explanations of them but you don't need I think Oprah I hate to say it is wrong you don't it's not <laughs> necessarily about God um, it's about what's transcended in life
3: you know I'd like to add something. Uh, in that's really a connection uh, made afresh for me during this conversation, which is, Alan, when you talked about awe as this vastness, and then in the definition you said the need for accommodation. So a light went on for me in relationship to spirituality as that which cannot be accommodated, because, you know, the name that can be named is not the name You can't actually say G-D. I mean, for me, spirituality is something that's beyond our ability to put it in any construct, in any frame. As soon as you put a frame on it, you've reified it, you've concretized it. It's not the real spiritual mystery to me. So, to me, spirituality in itself is so awesome because it can't be accommodated, actually, by our human verbal construction.
6: Wow. That's so interesting that we reserve enduring mystery, right? Which we have to have for spirituality. And that's such a novel take on on where that sentiment comes from. It's really cool.
4: For sure. It makes sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. But once you've solved whatever it is that is the mystery, it no longer (laughs) is something that needs to be accommodated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so that
1: tracks. Yes.
4: <laughs> so it could be spirituality is is something mm-hmm. that is sort of designed to evoke awe over and over and over, never never fully accommodated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, the big takeaway is Dacker thinks Oprah is wrong. Uh, Don't uh, say that. (laughs) uh, And she watches, so she's going to see that. I know. I I don't know if she watches. I mean, Gail does at the very least. We have to know that much, right? Um, But amazing, amazing conversation. But I I swear, I'm not letting you go without tapping into this, and we almost did it there. Um, To the best of our knowledge, is awe uniquely human? I know that's hard to answer because we ourselves are human. We are not dogs. We are not primates. But to what we have seen, what we do know— what what can you tell me? Have we have we seen awe in other other uh, friends out there, furry or otherwise? So,
4: I, I I think there's different levels to which different emotions can be seen in other species, and I think awe is one of the ones that is really hard to find mm-hmm. parallels of in animals, non-human animals, um, and that in and of itself is interesting. If you look at one of the physiological manifestations of awe, which is goosebumps. They mean something completely different in a lot of non-human primates, which is uh, erection raises the hairs and causes you to look bigger. So it's something the alpha males do to try to intimidate uh, other conspecifics. So it's a co- totally different thing uh, in non-human primates, which tells you something in a way. It's, it's sort of co-opted for a different purpose. Um, social hierarchies are really, really important in non-human primates. Social hierarchies are also important in humans. But I think one of the things that is not so much unique about humans, but one of the things that humans take to a new level is the idea of focusing on collective problem solving. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the idea that uh, we come together just to figure out why this thing is the way it is, just to understand reality. So, you know, we vocalize others. Vocalizers, oh, you know, that vocalization brings us together. Everyone, all, all emotional vocalizations orient everybody to a specific kind of thing. We hear it and we look for what caused it. Um, and in the case of awe, it's looking for a mystery, right? And so we have a way of bringing people together very rapidly to try to solve problems. And collective problem solving does strike me as something that humans are uniquely good at. Um, it's not, you know, you see it it to some extent in other species as well.
5: Um, I want to pick on that. I want to pick on that. I want there to be off for other species, because I feel like that's the way that's the reciprocal nature of being on the planet. And when I, if I've learned anything from James Cameron, and this class on the whales. <laughs> no, but whales are a social species. And when I think yeah. about collective effervescence and I think about moving in unison and I think about synchrony yeah. and I look at honeybees and it's like, maybe they don't have the story they tell themselves, which we humans are so get, good at for both our yeah. betterment and our worsening.
2: <laughs> but it's like
5: the, the, the true inherent interconnecting, merging you know, the metonymy of the part in the whole and all of that juice. they gotta be feeling that in the ocean when everybody gets back together <laughs> in the Arctic. They gotta be feeling that in the hive when the honey's really flowing, right? I mean, this is just Alice I'd in like Wonderland to believe speaking, they are, but I'm like, I want that. <laughs> i I believe it. I feel it.
6: I know. And, and, you know, this is where the science is, you know, I mean, and, and many social mammals probably have the rudiments of awe, like through different pathways, as Danielle's suggesting, collective movement. We, we don't know a lot about whales. They're hard to study. And that would be a fascinating uh, thing. We do know certain social mammals, when they fluff up their fur, like Alan was saying, kind of lean into each other and, and become more than the individual. They become mm. A collective to handle peril, like cold, right? They lean in to warm each other up. So there is some, there's some fabric Something. of collective awareness yeah. that's very foundational to awe. But.
5: Uh,
3: Cuddling is the gateway drug of awe. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the T-shirt right there. I, I, do, I do have a question. You, you asked previously about the relationship between awe and happiness. And right. I'm interested to know the relationship between awe and ecstasy because yes. uh, then mm-hmm. I want to share something about one of my dogs, if there's a relationship between mm-hmm. awe and kind of ex- resting in a state of ecstatic just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being. Is there a connection, ecstasy and awe?
6: Yeah, you know the the best evidence. Obviously, they're they're part of these self transcendent states that Alan mapped, and this field is getting interested in gratitude, bliss, joy, ecstasy. Ecstasy, where you totally dissolve, um, mm-hmm. is a little bit different than awe. And, and there are studies of uh, festivals where you you know the uh, this festival in India where millions of people go to the river for sacred reasons, they are ecstatic and they come out of it and is central to their narrative. Like I am part of something way beyond this flesh and bones tabernacle. So, um, so I want to hear your story of your dog. Well, yeah, so I, I, have think a, my, I have
3: a dog named Bula and Bula <laughs> rests and we're probably just talking about like 12-ish hours a day on her <laughs> back with both, you know, her hind legs up and and she's clearly um, in, in a total state of ecstatic bliss. And she just rests like that. She's the only one in our family. I have another dog who's quite neurotic and there's, you know, me and my wife, we're doing our thing. And we look (laughs) over at Bula on the couch. I'm like, how does she do it? What's going on with her?
1: We can all strive to be a little more like Bula. Indeed. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Running through the
6: foothills of (laughs) all.
1: Well, it's just, uh, thank you for sharing the story, Darren, because I'm sitting here, too, and I'm just thinking of everything my dog's done, and I'm like, well, that had to be a version of awe. But we mentioned, like, uh, feeling part of something, and, and the collect, and just how important uh, feeling like a part of a pack is to a canine, and how much they want to feel a part. Mm. My, my my buddy Jameson, uh, he, all he wants to do is be a part of whatever we're doing, and whatever I'm doing, and mm. he wants to be a part of that group. And so I can't necessarily quantify when he experiences awe, but he looks awfully happy when he gets a treat. And so so I feel like somewhere between being part of the pack and receiving the love that he loves so much, and he, he, sometimes I I'm, I know I have that habit of per- personifying a dog, which you shouldn't do. You shouldn't personify them. They're not people. But he's smiling. I'm telling you right now. I, I, I know he is. I can see it in his little face. Um, I. I want to talk for another hour about animals but uh very smart people are very busy and i want to be incredibly respectful of your time so first and foremost uh thank you so much for being so generous with it uh tammy decker danielle allen it is an absolute treat i am uh you know walking amongst giants here and it really means a lot that all of you would would, uh, take time to hang out together and have these conversations i have learned so much uh, just in the 30, 40 minutes that we got to hang out together today. So, so truly uh, sincerely, thank you and extra special, massive. Thank you to Tammy. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast or watching us, you absolutely must listen to her series insights at the edge. You probably already do, but if you don't go listen to it like right now uh, and be sure to check out soundtrue.com, not just for that podcast, but all of the incredible work uh, to our listeners. I hope you come back each week and continue this journey with us. Like Danielle said, it is a choice uh, don't forget, if you enjoyed this show, even just the tiniest bit, just a scooch, that's great. Share the podcast, tell a friend, write a nice little review. They give you one to five stars, whichever one you choose. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. But, uh, but go ahead. It helps us out a lot. Uh, and in our next episode, I'm really excited about this. We're going to explore the emotion of embarrassment. So anybody out there, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or an embarrassing story or two, I know I'm going to share a few. Uh, go ahead and share them with us. Feel free to email us at Lab at Hume.ai. That's T-H-E-F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S-L-A-B at Hume.ai, H-U-M-E.ai. And that's going to do it. Farewell for now, my friends. Uh, From where else but the Feelings Lab, uh, I'm Matt Forte. Thank you so much again to everybody. Stay safe out there. Have a great one.